Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Progressive Britain Podcast Extra Show, a short supplement to our main weekly episode looking at a relevant issue of the week. I'm host Connor Pope and I'm joined by Progress Deputy Director Stephanie Lloyd. Steph, we're going to try and look at the American midterm elections that happened this week in a bit more detail on the upcoming Tuesday episode of the show. So I don't want to linger on it today, but I know that Westminster politics nerds are obsessed with American politics. Did you, you kind of followed it a bit this week. Did anything in particular kind of catch your eye quickly? I did. I mean, I am not going to pretend to be the expert that so many... <laughs> I, I literally love this time of year. And my housemate actually captured it beautifully in a tweet which she did yesterday. Which she was like, you know it's coming up to Christmas when absolutely everybody becomes an expert on American politics. And it's like, most of us don't know what's happening here properly, let alone I've been like... Yeah, I have no idea why the voters of Basildon are voting the way that they are. But Arkansas, I know they've <laughs> never been there, but I know I know exactly how they feel. But no, I think it was I think it was interesting. I think obviously it's good news that the Democrats won back the House of Representatives. I think it will be slightly foolish if they start to run down a rabbit hole of impeaching Trump or, you know, I think there's lots of things that need to be done. But it was Amazing to see such a wonderfully diverse range of particularly women elected, most women that have ever run for office. And it is it is one of those things where kind of, you know, the legacy of Hillary and some of the things she tried to do does really live on in that sense. And although for me, there was one bit where, so Sharice Davids, so she was one of the first Native American women elected to Congress. And that is unbelievable. And I mean, absurd one that it's taken this long. But one of the other things that I think has really been missing from lots of the narrative about that is she was actually the first, she's an, she's an out lesbian. And to be an out lesbian and also elected mm. is is unbelievable. And it's just been totally absent from all of the analysis around that and the kind of people championing people that have been elected. And there's only ever been, let me see if I can, let me see if I can count off the top of my head here. <laughs> one, two, uh, three, four, she's the fourth out of five only LGBTQ women ever elected to either the Senate or the House of Representatives. So it's a pretty big deal in terms of that. And it's maybe a bit sad that it was a bit absent. What uh, what state was that in? Uh, so that was in Kansas. Um, so as I say, she was one of the, and she was the first ever Kansas, kind of lesbian woman elected from Kansas. Kansas doesn't strike me as a particularly... Um... The kind of socially liberal part of the world in that. In that. I may be wrong. Maybe, maybe um, most of what I know about Kansas is based on The Wizard of Oz. Well, but... <laughs> is it, isn't it for all of us? 
But yeah, no. So I do think, you know, it was really good that there was such an amazing kind of diversity of women. But I think sometimes there are certain kind of traits that kind of get left off uh, in terms of people celebrating that I think are really important. The um, One of the other uh, interesting things that I think always comes out of these American elections is the weird gerrymandering and you know i know i know what the size of the 18th district in texas looks like it's bizarre mm. because people go you know look at how this is so obviously gerrymandered and i think there were two things on that i think firstly you know it seems this immediately felt like one of the big stories of the election and that and voter suppression obviously i, I just i think it would be a mistake for the democrats to concentrate too much on that given that there's only limited amount of things that they can do if you concentrating on gerrymandering and voter suppression then actually that probably limiting your ability to do better in the next election because you're talking too much about process would be my feeling however i feel this is one of the few ways in which you can actually transplant an issue from the american politics and put it into uk politics and it kind of makes sense because we do still have the boundary review here there's a great article uh, by Afsal Khan MP in uh, the late latest um, issue of Progress magazine about the boundary review. He's trying to uh, change it to make it fairer, stop the reduction in MPs. And the fact that basically the boundary review is based on data that is now several years old. And a lot, a lot of people have come onto the electoral register since then, um, making it wildly out of date. And I think given the types of people who have joined the electoral register over the past few years, would seem that it would be gerrymandering in the Tories' direction. And so I do think that is an interesting case. It's something that he certainly cites as something that it's a route that we don't want to go down. Mm, absolutely. We definitely don't want to end up like America. Yeah, I think the only other thing that I found kind of quite comical to watch is obviously the big discussions now are what's going to happen in 2020, what's going to happen in terms of the presidential race, who are the Democrats going to run... And it was the, it kind of follows on in terms of, there were so many, as I said, so many unbelievable women that were elected. And, you know, I like kind of Beto, the guy who ran and got, I mean, to be fair, remarkably close in Texas to taking mm -hmm. the governorship off of Ted Cruz in that sense. But, you know, and I think there's a huge amount that needs to be learned from his election and, and the way that he ran it, but also he didn't win. But, you know, and as I say, I like the guy, but he then is like, everyone's like, oh, Maybe he could be the president. It's like, there are also lots of other women that won. We could possibly talk about those. And by I say, you know, I was surprised by that. I mean, I was absolutely not surprised yeah. by that because it's the most predictable thing in the world that people do. But yeah, it was definitely an interesting night, as I say. Unlike some, I pretend to not be... Uh, I like to pretend to not to be an expert on all of these things. But yeah, looking forward to Tuesday's show where we actually have someone who knows a lot about that coming on and talking about those. So. Yeah, because the, the final bit on the American politics um, is obviously this big incident with the CNN political Remarkable. editor uh, having a, a row with um, Donald Trump and then being um, removed from the White House press list, mm. which, as people have pointed out, is completely typical strongman kind of demagogic behavior from mm. Donald Trump. You know, it happened the same day that he fired the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, and it's completely blown that story out of the mm. water. It's also, frankly, blown out of the water the election results, which obviously quite a lot of them weren't great for Trump. They were, I think there were mixed results mm. overall, but obviously we'll have someone in talking about that next week. But it, it, it's completely typical of this this new era of strongman. And there's a, another brilliant piece in the current issue of uh, oh the Mary Progress. Cray article that we've got in the in the new yeah. magazine yeah no it's such a good such a good article in that sense and 
really kind of pulls together the, as you say, that kind of element of kind of strongman leaders that kind of are circumventing all of those kind of international rules that um, have kind of, you know, fair play and, and, and kind of the values of which we base that on and the internationalist values that obviously the Labour Party has really kind of projected into the world um, over the last kind of couple of decades and so. And yeah, I mean, you, you had, there's, there's already one critic of that article though I saw on Twitter <laughs> this week. Connor, who was that? That was uh, Aaron Banks from Leave.eu, who's not had the great, the best week. I think he's been fined about £135,000 for some sort of data breach yeah. with, with his uh, Leave campaign, as well as coming under a lot of pressure to reveal the source of some of his uh, funding for that campaign with suspicions that it may have come from uh, Russia. Mm. Uh, although there, those are allegations, of course, that he's denied. But he was furious about this this article and was uh, tweeting about it the other day, which um, given that the le- level of criticism, not just of Trump, but also of Vladimir Putin in Mary Gray's article, did make me think that if I was advising Aaron Banks on, on, uh, on kind of press strategy this week, I probably would have uh, been like, Maybe stay away from the stuff about Russia just for a few days. Maybe. Although, to be fair, the only advice I think I'd give him right now is also, on, he seems to be a fan of the magazine now. He's clearly going to be a reader. Next one's on crime. So <laughs> I think I think he could probably pick up a few things. We'll, uh, we'll stick a copy in the post for him, certainly. If you want a copy in the post, do uh, join at prog.oris forward slash join. Uh, the next issue is going to be really good. We've got brilliant guest editor that I'll... I think we'll reveal in a few weeks' time. Oh, but I can't I do wait. keep your eyes peeled for that. Mm-hmm. Back to British politics a bit more. I had a piece in the I newspaper over the weekend. Oh, cheeky the, plug! I know, I know. Shameless <laughs> on the back of uh, on the back of the budget. Yeah, and essentially, I had this conversation with one of the editors there about about doing this article, and essentially, they wanted to look at this this possible split that kind of has emerged between John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn. At first, I spoke about it with you at the time. I wasn't sure mm. whether it would be the best thing to write this article because I don't want to look like I'm trying to, you know, cause ructions in the Labour Party. But I did do it in the end, I think, because actually I do think it's an interesting topic. What what I think we saw off the back of the budget last week when Labour uh, abstained on the tax cuts was a difference in approach between John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn. And I do think that that is worth commenting on and we shouldn't be afraid to analyse it and wonder what it means for the Labour Party and what, what our approach to the next election is going to be. Because when these tax cuts were first announced in the budget, Jeremy Corbyn obviously did the uh, immediate budget reaction. He called them ideological uh, tax cuts and attacked them in that manner. And then John McDonnell quickly recognised that actually the way that they'd packaged together these tax cuts would contravene a policy promise made in the Labour manifesto, which was about uh, not raising taxes for anyone but the top 5%. Essentially, if you're going to oppose a tax cut, that is an implicit uh, promise to reverse one. And so he recognised that those two things didn't go hand in hand. Um, And it seemed... A really interesting thing where John McDonnell, you know, we saw over the summer, he, he took a much harder line against anti-Semitism much quicker. And at Labour conference, we saw Jeremy Corbyn effectively side with Keir Starmer over John McDonnell on whether Remain would be on a ballot paper uh, in a possible people's vote. So I do think that actually there are differences here in approach between McDonnell and Corbyn, who I know, you know, I'm not claiming that there is a big ideological divide there, mm. but there is clearly 
for people who watch Labour politics closely, there is there is something going on there, isn't there? I think. Yeah, I think there really is, and I think I think you're right in the sense that no one is trying to proclaim that there is this giant gulf between the two of them. They've obviously worked exceptionally closely, and is very much a kind of little you know very much a team for decades now uh, in terms of their activism in in Labour Party politics. But it is interesting that as you know, these are two people who could one day be prime minister and chancellor of this country it you know that the relationship that they have will come under more scrutiny far mm. more naturally because you know how that plays out and we've seen over many years whether it's George Osborne and David Cameron Tony Blair Gordon Brown you know that is a that is a real dynamic in terms of all, all men um <laughs> not that I'm, you know at any point make make a point about that but um but Theresa May and Philip Hammond even have had a strained well, relationship. Indeed. They've had a strange relationship. And that's the point is I think, you know, those that jump on, you know, there are some that obviously will jump on it and be like, oh, isn't it awful? They hate each other. No, they don't. But also to then reject any discussion of their relationship or how that works um, and in terms of the kind of the approaches. And I think it's more the approaches that they take to things. And, you know, John McDonnell is clearly a man who is, really trying to prepare to be in government. Like he can see it literally within his grasp. It is something he spent his entire political life trying to do. I don't think he ever thought in a million years that would probably happen. And you can see a real kind of pragmatism coming out of him uh, in terms of what he wants to do. There was obviously an interesting rebellion from some on the Labour benches, uh, kind of what appeared to be more to the left of McDonald, which I think was a plot twist for everybody <laughs> uh, in terms of how that worked. But, you know, these budgets always do bring up those opportunities for kind of, you know, Tory traps, as people call them, or, uh, you know, they'd quite happily have Labour come out going, we're not going to, you know, we're going to raise your taxes and everything else. I think Labour would do things very differently if it was their budget. Um, I think lots of people in Labour would do things very differently, depending on where you sit on that spectrum of it. But it was a really interesting... Uh, what, what seems so fascinating to me as well, actually, is that having previously worked as a, a journalist working on the Labour Party, it seems so similar to the types of conversations that would have been happening between Ed Miliband's office and Ed Ball's office following budgets in years gone by. And uh, I thought that that was a really interesting dynamic to come out of this. Mm. It's basically the argument about should we take the kind of a traditional left approach to this uh, versus what is the the kind of electoral or the big P political cost of doing so. Um, and it's, it's interesting that we're completely back in the same position on some of this stuff. Well, totally. And I think it's also, it's just an inevitability in so many ways in terms of the closer you get to power, the more you have to think about lots of different aspects to it. It's very, very different when you are a rally of lots of people mm. that already support you or on a big anti-austerity demo, the kinds of rhetoric you can use and, and the ways that you bring people on board. Like they are different, very much more pure ideological arguments than you have to do if necessarily you're the shadow chancellor. And I think it is very interesting seeing how someone who comes from such a left tradition is, you know, how they as a partnership are really kind of teasing that out and, mm. and finding their feet with that. Anyway, if you want to hear a bit more about the kind of economic impact of the tax cut, I discussed it with Alison McGovern on last week's Extra Show. It was really fascinating. Definitely go back and listen to that if you missed it. Finally, I just need to do the pub quiz. Uh, the pub quiz question this week was set by Alison. She asked uh, Margaret Bonfield, was the first female Labour minister, but what was her position and under which prime minister? Uh, Steph, you... I don't think you got it on Monday. Do you know it No, because she, she proclaimed all of my feminist credentials were taken <laughs> away from me, which was fair. So she was the Minister for Labour 
under Ramsay MacDonald. 1929. And I definitely don't know that now because you've handed me a piece of paper with <laughs> written on it. I also realised that I forgot to answer the pub quiz question from last week. Apologies for that. I asked you which... Sure hour. Uh, Home Secretary Sajid Javid, what is his favourite book? It's uh, Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead, which uh, I can only recommend you do not read. Um <laughs> Remember to send in any comments and questions you have. Do leave a review, rate and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, Raycast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.